Hey, this is LGBTQ and A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is a show where we get to know different members of the LGBTQ community. Today, I'm talking with Amin El Gamal. He's an actor currently in the new Prison Break reboot. Stay tuned. Hey, Jeff. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk. I want to talk about Prison Break, but first, I think we should say that you were also on to one of my favorite shows of all time, The Newsroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I loved that show. Thank you for saying that. I didn't think people still remembered that. Oh, really? <laughs> I remember your role exactly with Jeff Daniels. Like talking through like the Skype. Talking through Skype. Because yeah. you were in Egypt in the show, right? In the show I was in Egypt. In reality, I was upstairs from the newsroom <laughs> in a half room set. Wait, did you get to meet him? <laughs> oh yeah. We rehearsed in person. Um, I shot for three days. We rehearsed in person and then I would go upstairs into literally like the stairs of the newsroom and it would open up into this like sound stage space of nothingness. Right. And they had a half room that was half one room in Egypt and half another character's room and that was supposed to be in Egypt. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but and we did it live, so so we had sort of like a live feed thing going on. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Is it true that after you were cast you sent an email to Aaron Sorkin about the character yeah. name? <laughs> I didn't directly, but I asked the I asked <laughs> I asked the costume designer when I was getting my fitting. I was like you know, this story is really important to me as like an Egyptian American person and the revolution was very exciting to me. Um, but I have to, but the character was written in a name that I'd never, I just didn't recognize the name. And it turned out it was Swahili and not Arabic and pretty much no one in Egypt who is like ethnically Arab would have a Swahili name. It's just like someone messed up. Um, so I, so I was like, so basically she sent an email on my behalf. She was really nice. I thought he was going to be like, who is this asshole? <laughs> I, was, I had just left grad school. And I kind of didn't expect a response. But he was really open to collaborating to find new names. So I suggested some first and last names and like gave, them, gave him the meaning um, of the names. And he came up with a new name. And there was a few in this discrepancies in the uh, like factual things in the show. And he was totally open to it. I think that's really nice to hear. My god, it, it felt really, I, I've had many experiences since that were not. <laughs> where I didn't feel as validated in the business, but it was so empowering, you know, as an actor, especially when you're first coming out of school, you feel like you're the lowest on the totem pole. Um, and the fact that he actually cared about making it factually accurate, I think says a lot about at least the intent of the show. Yeah. yeah. I think that you can like see that while watching it as well, or at least I did. Yeah. Or I wanted to believe that. Yeah. There was some integrity. And I think, and, and funnily enough, I've been thinking a lot about that show lately because what's going on in the world in terms of how we consume media is so relevant to what the show was trying to do at the time. I don't know if people got that quite, but it, it felt very urgent on, for the crew creating the show and for him. And now in retrospect, I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> the way we consume, consume news and how there's not always two points of view. Sometimes there's one, sometimes there's more than two. That was kind of the point of the show. And, and we're seeing that, um, that now more than ever that that's true. Yeah, I also like that it had like conflict between a major news corporation and Smallville bloggers that can do it yeah. on their own. It's, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I thought I thought that was kind of cool too. Yeah, I promise we won't spend the whole interview on it. But last thing, I was thinking about <laughs> Newsroom last week because of sarin gas. Oh and yeah, and that's the only reason why I know what that is. Was yeah, the show season yeah. two. Yeah, 
So, I mean, it's a terrible... I know, horrible. Terrible situation, but yeah, I'm glad that it d disseminated some knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> In a useful yeah, way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Prison Break. I think it's so impressive how many out gay actors were on the reboot. I know, right? Yeah, like it shows like my own biases, but like for such an action series, you don't I know. expect it. I know, because it's such like a mask show. <laughs> um, it was really exciting to to go into that space that basically was, uh, Wentworth Miller was a, was a producer too, um, and he was coming back, but for the first time to the, sh to the character as an out actor. So it was really cool being in a show that was almost directly in like the lineage of someone who kind of broke barriers in that way on not only is it you know a lead of a show on broadcast tv and it's like this action adventure show you know and it's a drama i think those things like almost didn't really happen that that it's very rare that you see one let alone three out actors who are sort of leads of the show um so that was cool and there's another actor augustus prue who is a British actor who's also out and just got engaged. Um, and the three of us, it was, it was nice. We, we didn't like, you know, there was no like secret society, but it was kind of nice to have that, the awareness of other people there. If, if something, you know, in the script was like, oh, I don't know about this. This seems kind of, you know, it, it felt like we were emboldened to try to, to bring ourselves to the story and to bring our intelligence and our sort of progressive values to the story as much as we could. That's really very nice. Yeah, it was a huge luxury. I don't know if I would have survived without that kind of support, you know, on such a grueling um, show. So that was really cool. Why was it so grueling? Well, we shot in, in Vancouver and Morocco, and a, a lot of Morocco was, like, in the desert, and, you know, there, it was pretty hot. <laughs> we were doing a lot of physical... You know, it's an action show. There's physical stuff. There's, I had to do arms training and boxing training. Um, wow. And I had to learn how to drive a stick shift. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, the way I describe it is it was, like, an unbelievable, uh, like, completely an excruciating amount of work. And then we were sort of, like, in this beautiful hotel in Morocco. And we we're doing nothing. So it was these extremes of, like, luxury and, and hard work, which is fun. I mean, that's why I'm an actor. It's, like, I love the challenge, the physical challenge, the emotional challenge um, of fulfilling a role in a story especially if it's not like me you know and this character in ways is like me and in most ways has nothing to do with me so it was really nice it was a nice challenge to see like how can I bring myself um fully to the to this character that on paper is nothing like me yeah and so speaking of the character you have said before you're not interested in playing terrorists mm -hmm. uh he is the villain though from He's what we've villain, seen yeah he he yeah. villain tendencies <laughs> let's say um why was this character different why was this one okay um i never played a terrorist before and this one is sort of terrorist adjacent i would say um I, I did think a lot about it. It was not originally the part that I auditioned for and was called back for. It was I was asked, asked after I met Paul Schering, the creator of the show, to come in again for this character. And when I first saw it, I was like this like one-eyed dude who was like sort of you know ISIS affiliated and like does these kind of terrible things as you will find out <laughs> later in the show. I was like, there's no way they're gonna give this part to me. You know what I mean? So I I. Um, so when I was offered it, I was kind of taken aback, and I was sort of like, "This is the, this is kind of in the world of a kind of character I didn't want to do." But as an Arab American actor, my my options have been pretty limited in terms of um, in terms of work. So I, I felt like because this was a multiple episode arc, and because Wentworth Miller was was involved in it, and he was someone I looked up to, and because I liked the first season of the show a lot. 
I was like, you know, there might be room and space for me to do something with this character that's really interesting. Now, I know I don't have control over the performance and the writing, you know, for the most part, but I but I was like, this is my challenge to try to to try to see if I can rise to the challenge of humanizing this type of person that we are automatically are like dehumanize um, as an acting challenge, but also as a way to sort of make a statement and try to try to see if we can complicate the narrative on on how we treat uh, people in the Middle East. You're saying so they're not portrayed as just terrorists? Yeah. Uh, on the show? Yeah. No, I'm saying that you want, like, changing the narratives. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I want to make Arab-American characters relatable. That's sort of, like, my... Aside from acting being ridiculously fun and such a privilege to do and something that gives me a, immense uh, joy and fulfillment personally, um, it's also... I, it's also a way to... I, I, I can't distinguish myself and the things that are important to me from, from being, like, a somewhat public figure. Yeah. So... So eventually, and I'm not there yet, I think eventually I would like to begin to produce and write content that sort of centers Arab American and Muslim people as relatable and not necessarily, you know, and as human, not as like saint. We see them either as like these sort of sainted victims, you know, <laughs> or these like, you know, horrible um, people usually on TV. So it's very rare that we, we kind of blur the line. Um, I think that's when we see characters on TV where the ethnicity doesn't matter it goes to a white actor yeah it goes to a white, white actor or it goes to other other um, ethnic categories that have been more vocal about this which is great I think more diversity for everyone is important but unfortunately like they've been calling it the MENA region which is Middle East and North African we don't have a strong um, coalition because there's so many different ethnicities and languages and traditions there's not really a strong enough lobbying power to go to the studios um, and kind of put pressure that the other the other organizations that represent different ethnicities do. So I think that'll change because the census considers us white still. That might change in 2020, but right now there's no middle, like we're not really counted, um, Arab Americans at least. I didn't know that. Yeah, and that affects, that affects the way diversity hires work. So, you know, the NAACP can be like, hey, Fox, like we're gonna put some pressure on you. What are your numbers for casting? But there's no one really doing that on behalf of, of that region in the world, which is really diverse. It includes like, you know, like Turkey and Iran and North Africa and um, the the Arab world, and but also like people from from Israel or you know who might not be identifies white, which is you know there's like, ethnic Jewish Arabs or like you know Mizrahi Jews stuff like that. So. I, that's a whole cat or, or Afghanistan which is a whole other thing you know it's a whole region that's not really represented that right now is considered white so what happens what happens is we we don't go in for the, we're too ethnic to be going for the white roles but when it comes to all ethnicity we're not considered a diversity hire so we're not considered ethnic enough to give them sort of the brownie points they need to not get a terrible PR um, or even a legal yeah. uh, response I mean, I'm continually impressed um, in the worst way that studios keep casting white actors in roles that are Middle Eastern descent and that- Or, or Asian, yeah. Yeah, or Asian. <laughs> I'm impressed that like there's so much bad PR and yet it's still happening. Yeah, it's happening less. I mean, on, on Prison Break, not everyone is Arab who's playing Arab. There's someone who's Indian, there's a Turkish person, there's Persian, Persian guy. Um, but they're sort of in the world. I mean, I think it's, it's like a step better than, yeah, a yeah. step better than being like, let's give him a tan. And dye his hair black. Yeah, I guess you <laughs> are at a unique vantage point in Hollywood since you see all the roles that come up. 
for like Arab Americans or Arab yeah I mean I don't know if I see all of them but I see a lot of them um, unfortunately we haven't quite made the shift yet I mean I think this this year so far I've still seen roles that are like and I've asked not to do terrorist stuff anymore so I don't know what's out there in that in that world but but I see roles that are like still affiliated with the conflict or who are CIA informants or who are you know and 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 I'm you know I I like to pride myself that I'm able to do that stuff, but it also just kind of knock it, it, it just exhausts me. So there was there was one role, and I, I realized that when there was one role on a show, um, Transparent, which is a show that I love, um, and and they were looking for a Middle Eastern actor, and I remember reading it and being like, oh my god, I can just be American and not have an accent and sort of like be my, you know, I was just like, wow, this is what it feels like to be a white actor. It was it was amazing, it was really amazing. And that's the first um, time that happened. This year, of the auditions I've had this year, yeah, most of the time I'm like, okay, I have to do my research on the CIA, you know? <laughs> like, wow. I have to translate five pages of Arabic, you know? <laughs> so I know you worked on Transparent, was that the role? I did, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and the way that show works is they, it's very improv so I didn't really know exactly what I was getting myself into. So my role is not that big, but it was really fun because it was just fun being on that set, um, which is unlike any other, in that it's not hierarchical really I mean there's obviously like Jill Soloway's calling the shots but there's this feeling of um, like they start every day on set with something called box where you stand at anyone anyone the crew any of the extras any actor anyone can stand up on the box and just say something to the whole crew they really afford themselves the time to be really open and and uh, they do that every day mm -hmm. that's incredible every single day someone leads it. like the first day I was there Gabby Hoffman led it the second day Jill Soloway led it it was kind of amazing, um, and they're very inclusive, obviously, <laughs> um, of everyone, and everyone sort of has a say, and, and, and I didn't know this, but at least when I was working on it, they would write a script, but then it would go wildly wherever it goes, you know, wherever the, the kind of the wind would take them. So it was pretty, <laughs> it was exciting and challenging, but also sort of like, I, I'd never seen anything like it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so you were like queer sides and you were Arab side in so many majority Muslim countries it's still capital punishment yeah to be gay yeah is there tension there for you there's tension there in terms of my own um, having grown up in that religion and, and feeling sort of self-hatred because I was told it was wrong um, I I am American <laughs> and I don't I can't speak to what's happening in other countries but I can say that if you look back, um, if you take a look at the Quran, for instance, like there's no instance where it says that homosexuality is wrong. Um, I think the plate, the part that's interpreted that way is Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a story also in the Bible. Um, and ironically, the Muslim world um, was very, was relatively open to transgender people who would be considered transgender now and gay people they played different roles like they were I think they were like singers and matchmakers and they were pretty open and it was sort of okay um, obviously it wasn't an identity at the time um, the first time there's um, a homophobic interpretation of the Quran was the 13th century and it was a, a scholar um, who kind of started this first sort of very militant idea of what being Muslim is but in response to like a threat a, in response to like a threat to the Muslim world at the time which was like the Mongol Empire I think they'd taken 
Baghdad or, so, or two cities like that. So we see this repeatedly in terms of misogyny and homophobia that like when power is threatened, people decide to, to um, oppress other people in order to ma maintain control. So I think that was sort of the first seed. And even then it didn't take on until the 1800s um, when Wahhabism sort of started. But again, in, addition, in, in response to Africa and the Middle East being chopped up and feeling like they needed power, but actually they were trying to emulate the Western world, which was very heteronormative. And in the industrial era, they were like, how can we compete with this? And part of it was like, maybe if we follow this, um, if we follow this model of being very strict in terms of sexuality and we can maybe catch up with the Western world in terms of... They learned it from us. Yeah, I mean, there's accounts. There's accounts where we're in the 1800s where explorers are like marveling at how um, they're, they're faulting the Muslim world for being so, so open to LGBT, what we now call LGBT people. So it's pretty fascinating. So again, it's like, it's not, it's political and it's ascribing certain things to a religion because then they, it maintains a certain power. Yeah. It's like a power struggle. Um, so now it's become embedded culturally in a lot of these places and in terms of laws. And it's, it's tragic for me to watch here. I feel very privileged to not, you know, my parents are from Egypt. I feel very privileged to have been born here. I don't really know what my life would have been there. Yeah. I mean, they have random raids. They like stalk people on, on dating apps and, um, and then the whole thing in Chechnya, which is not the Arab world, but it's like a Muslim region. Um, it's heartbreaking and I'm not really sure what I can do about it. I know what I can do is, is share my story and try to help American Muslims who are struggling with their um, yeah. gender identity and sexual identity. Absolutely. I, I think that in terms of visibility, you're working on two fronts, like in mm -hmm. media, you're like out and proud, but yeah. also in a more personal aspect, like with your friends, but also yeah. like the support group I know you run. Yeah, yeah, we just had it on Sunday, actually. Um, and that's for LGBTQ Muslims. Yeah, so it's LGBTQ and questioning Muslims and people of Muslim background. And the reason why that's important is because a lot of people, me included, were like, oh, you know, I know certain things. Like, I know as, like, a queer person that this is who I am, and I can't really do anything about it. So if there's a God who's saying that this is not a right, then obviously this is not true. Um, and, so, and so you kind of leave... You kind of leave the religion and you're sort of robbed of the experience, the cultural experience, the sort of rituals. You're sort of like, no, that's it. I'm done. <clears throat> and I'm still a fairly secular person today. I wouldn't say I'm very religious by any standards. But I was like, I, but, but I came across this organization called Muslims for Progressive Values around when I was doing the newsroom, actually. And, I, and my like, brain sort of exploded. I was like, wait, you could still be proud of who you are and, uh, and all, on all fronts. You know, that's amazing. It was, it was very moving. My mom actually, I think, is the one who shared that organization with me. Um, and I think through Twitter, the, the executive director reached out to me and we were thinking like, should we do some sort of artistic collaboration or something that we tour a show? And what we landed on was something that apparently she had had a hard time finding someone who was comfortable <laughs> being a leader of a, a support group, like a very simple and pretty confidential kind of thing and I was like what I would do that in a second and I had facilitating experience um, yeah I was like what in way too deep but I'm really really proud of the of what the group has done I, I facilitated it for about a year and a half and then I passed it on to some people I thought it was time and now I'm back um, in a sort of like co-facilitator capacity I think doing it by myself <laughs> was not possible yeah um, 
but I'm really proud of the work. There have been like friendships and communities that have been built there, some relationships. Um, I think, I think uh, one, one guy from Bangladesh who was on a student visa at the time, we were able to help him get political asylum. Um, I don't want to take credit for that solely, but I contributed to, yeah. <laughs> to that. Um, so I think, and it's also just, it's its own form of activism to sort of be like, there is no space for someone like uh, for someone like us. And in this, for these two hours, we're in this room, and all we're doing is telling our stories, and we're finding sort of like a sanctuary in each other's stories and sharing these experiences. And then sometimes we get dinner, and then sometimes we we do other fun things around town. But it's a very diverse group too. I mean, you do like LGBT Muslims. Of course, there's like there's a Egyptian, you know, Egyptian Arabs. There's Arabs from other part of people people who immigrants from who are Arab and Arab Americans. There are South Asian people, there are white people, there's Latino people, there's black people, like kind of every kind of person. That's you know? wild. There's just, and, and that's the thing, like, you know, Muslim is a religion, not an ethnicity. And so there's like white people who are converts or Latino people or, or black people who came into the nation of Islam or who didn't or, or more mainstream Muslim. So it's kind of, um, it was very, it's very humbling. And I've, I've learned a lot about it, but I really started the group, first of all, because I needed it. <laughs> so I was like, I don't have anything like this. Um, and also I felt like, you know, if we're all gonna be afraid, then there's no progress is ever gonna really be made. You know, someone just has to do it. And I just didn't feel afraid. So I was like, I'm not, I'm gonna, I don't, you know, I didn't feel, I was in a state of a, a, a privilege, I guess, because I'm out to my family and I was out in pretty much every aspect of my life. And I didn't care about pe anyone knowing. Whereas a lot of people in the group are not in that boat because they don't have the privilege because they are, their parents are in Bangladesh or, or they, they, they want to maintain a relationship with their parents and it's sort of unspoken. They kind of know, but they don't. And you know, there's, or they're going to be cut off. And I just feel like I, when I went into the group, I was like, everyone needs to come out. Like you're a coward. If you don't, if we don't have visibility, then things will never change. And then doing, facilitating the group, I realized that it's really a matter of privilege. And who am I to say what's right for one person as long as I can try to let them know that there's community out there and that and their kind of mental health is and well-being is is uh, are safe, that's I guess big. then that's kind of all I can I can't force someone to to be an activist and to, to be out if, if they can't be. And you, you never know? know when it's safe, like you said, yeah, to come out. Yeah. Are there other queer Muslims like in the media or that they can look up to? Yeah, there are. Um, there are. <laughs> I don't want to put you on the spot. I guess. No, I'm I trying to think. Um, they're not necessarily. Well, they're not in. Well, there must be an entertainment somewhere. I don't know if they're out though. I'm trying. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing someone. I can name only one queer Arab person, but they're not Muslim. That's Omar yeah. Sharif's grandson. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, but that's, yeah, and that's different. I think the Muslim thing is also, it's like a whole other stigma. Yeah. It's like stigma upon stigma. Um, I just I'm trying so to think, and I can't, I can think of people who, like, there's a, a Imam Dai who's in D.C. who has sort of a Muslim-friendly mosque. He's not Arab, um, but he's Muslim and gay, and he's kind of like an imam, um, which is a, a kind of religious leader. Um, and there are certainly figures who are more activists. Uh, there, there's a, there's a, I, I, I think he's Pakistani and I can't remember his name, but there's a, a filmmaker who made a couple documentaries 
about queer Muslims as well. Um, but I, I don't know that I know another person exactly in my position. I guess that's very telling too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think, and the other thing is a lot of people are very secretive. Like they don't want anyone to know that they have certain, which I understand, you know? They don't want people to know they have a Muslim background or they're like a certain ethnicity because they're afraid or they're hiding their sexuality because they're afraid it's going to limit their parts. All of that is exhausting to me. I didn't work as hard as I worked to be able to like do the thing that I love to have to like hide under a rock. Yeah. You know? <laughs> have you like gone towards the side of you more strongly since like when as the cl political climate has changed? No. Really? To be honest, no. I I've always been this I mean I've I, you mean like the 45 <laughs> yeah I just think never no. before has an administration bit they've always disguised their prejudices yeah but I always like knew they were obvious. there I mean when I was 14 I was stopped like I was on a school trip going to New York and I was the only person out of 40 students that was singled out so I always knew there was like eyes on me is that on like an airport yeah I, right. sorry at an airport <laughs> I didn't miss the crucial You're detail fine. but that that happens a lot Right. Yeah, it happens a lot, but that wasn't, you know, but it also stuff was happening before 9-11. Like, I wasn't in discriminatory stuff. I'm not, I was just sort of aware of it intrinsically because I was seeing it happen to my family. Um, and I'd experienced some of it, even though, like, I'm, again, pretty privileged as, like, a lighter-skinned Arab person and people don't always know, like, what I am. But my brother, for instance, has faced a lot of racism and, con and continues to in, like, weird ways. Um so I was always kind of aware of that. Um, I think I became most vocal probably in college, and I can attribute that to my friend Amanda, Amanda Gellander, who's an actual activist. I just like support where actual activists do. Um, and she sort of, she sort of like got me woke, I guess is the word. <laughs> I feel so stupid having just said that. Um, no, I liked it. But she, I, I remember there was a, she was also a theater artist. And I remember at Stanford there was, this big musical where they had two non-Asian actors playing Asian and had like the makeup and stuff. Oh no. And this was like 2007 or eight or something. And we were just like, that kind of like, I kind of had a switch that never turned back. And that's I- That's Stanford, that's still liberal school too. I know, but they don't, but the thing is like, it was, the theater community was still very divided. And that's why, you know, I went to school with Issa Rae, which I think you know, um, and she was ahead of me and she would she she was she was like this is the space for people of color she would put on plays she had a company called Black Stage that did like an all person of color ca uh, production of Grease so she was like saw the need for that in the microcosm of Stanford and then saw it in you know in the country and arguably the world she's amazing yeah. I just like think she's awesome um, but my response to the to the sort of whitewashing of those Asian characters was me and, and Amanda decided to produce this crazy like radical production of hair <laughs> which I directed um, which we made non-binary we like changed the entire script probably illegally and made it like very like contemporary because some of it is pretty dated if you read the actual hair script um, and that was my first time putting kind of my art to work beyond the going to a protest which I think is very important too but it was more it was just kind of a different approach um, but I guess, but to be completely honest, my mom also had a big part in it because she was very vocal when she saw something offensive, like in like Naked Gun. She's like, these are really offensive, like Arab bad guys that are very one dimensional. Yeah. You shouldn't watch this. Um, when she read, she used to read to me and my brothers and we were reading the, um, the Narnia trilogy. 
And at one point in the books, I don't really remember, but all the bad guys are like brown or swarthy and like have turbans. And she was like, all right, we're done. <laughs> you know, I guess it was like crusade, maybe like influence. I'm not sure, but she was like, you don't need this. Wow. So I became aware of how representation is important. That's not to say that it didn't affect me. I don't remember what your question was. Well, yeah. tell me this. <laughs> there are a lot of misconceptions around Muslim people as yeah. an understatement. One, yeah. um, something that I see, tell me if this is wrong or not. Yeah. I perceive the Muslim community to be a quieter community. Yeah. And I don't know if that's whether they've been silenced and made to be invisible, or if, is that like a natural inclination? I think it's probably a combination of both, but I think a lot of, not all Muslims, obviously, but a lot of Muslims are... are you know immigrants or first generation and like a lot of immigrant communities it's sort of like toe the line don't rock the boat and that's sort of what we were taught like don't talk politics don't talk personal i don't remember the last thing my grandpa always says that don't talk i don't remember the last thing or religion maybe um and that was sort of the, a survival mecha mechanism you know sort of like show your allegiance to this country don't get in an argument be nice to everyone so you can make a living and survive um there's a new generation of Muslims, though, um, that are very, very progressive, you know, that are very connected to movements like Black Lives Matter, who speak out really openly um, on on social media. And I think there was a there was I don't want to get this wrong, but I think there was a statistic that like of young Muslims, they're like the most pro LGBTQ in America. That's big. Yeah. So it was something like that. Um, I just think when a community like this is quieter, it's easier for the media and politicians yeah, to take to over put, the narrative. Yeah, to make, put, cast them as a villain. Yeah, and that's also why it's really important for people in the Arab American and Muslim community, communities, there's not one community, um, to encourage their young people to do, if they have you know inclinations in the, art, to, in the arts, to be like, do it, get better, try it out, instead of being like, you will fail and you're horrible and this is not real. It's not a real job. And, you know, it's all about medicine and engineering, you know. That's like every minority community. <laughs> I think I know, I know. But I think that's true. Of, but I think because maybe, I mean, there are there are Arab Americans that go way back um, to, in, in main, I think more in Dearborn area in Michigan, much more than like in, in California, at least in the community I was in, which was mainly immigrants and their children. Um, and Muslims go back to like the slave trade in America. <laughs> so, oh, so like, was it you? I saw some stat that in like Louisiana, like twenty to thirty percent of slaves are Muslims. Um, that's a stat of all the slaves that, that were stolen from Africa. That it's possible. There's no way to really verify. It's that. just a massive number. Yeah, you, you would say like fifteen to. Th it's considered fifteen to thirty, but no one really knows. I mean, I mean that's the connection between like Black America and activism and like. Islam is that you know Malcolm X which yeah. is like a, a sort of a different thing but um, the nation of Islam is a little bit like a, a little bit different but they're all connected and it all has to do with going back to your roots and being like who am I you know why was I not allowed to have the experience of, of this religion which my ancestors may have had I guess um, um, in terms of Islamophobia yeah it, do you think that your queerness and or being perceived queer has protected you from that or have you experienced it just as much? Well, I'm sort of, I can, I'm weird because I'm, some people like perceive me as white, which is like boggles my mind, but I get, or, or they don't really think about my ethnicity. Um, so I, I get to be sort of undercover in different spaces sometimes. <laughs> huh. 
So I've, I have, there has been homophobia in the gay community because it's perceived that the religion is against them because of the horrible things that Muslim majority leaders do to yeah. their Muslim, their uh, gay citizens. Um, so I have, there was one screening of that filmmaker whose name I can't remember his movie that was him going to Mecca and he's a gay Muslim and he was sort of like skeptical about it, but he was having a kind of a spiritual, trying to see like, can I, can I be gay and go to this like spiritual excuse me, pilgrimage, um, like, I don't know, he, it was like an, ex I guess, a, a sort of an experience that he wanted to put on film. And there was two, like, older white gay guys who were just, like, they would not listen to reason. They'd be like, it's a barbaric religion, and it hates this, and it's the Stone Ages, and it's evil, and, like, I, so, I mean, I, and, I, and I understand it to one level, but I, but I think at the end of the day, it's just perpetuating the same, like, hate, you know? Yeah. It's all about either justifying yourself or trying to find someone to blame or trying to have power so you like oppress another group of people. Yeah. Oh, I and actually I meant it in the reverse way. Whereas oh, if I'm somebody, sorry. No, you're totally fine. Um, whereas like if somebody sees a Muslim person and there's like a false concern or they're wondering yeah. like, are they safe? Then they like see maybe like something that presents as queer and they're like, oh, oh it, like it normalizes that. Like it takes away the threat. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to, ex because I don't, you know, like, I don't, I'm not a woman, I don't cover my hair, and my family doesn't really do that. Um, uh, so I'm not perceived right away as Muslim. I don't think someone looks at me like, you, you're a Muslim, you're an Arab American. My brother has had some experiences like that. He's not queer, but... Um, so I, I don't know. I think so. I think me having lighter skin, I think me um, being, like, pretty... You know, American. Oh, they're saying being pretty, me being pretty. Being pretty. Period. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think. Um, yeah, I don't think that's okay. I'm not sure. I, to be honest, I'm not sure. That's okay. Yeah, because I just haven't been in that experience. No, that's good. But I feel like, yeah, I feel like maybe that's shielded me in some ways. Other ways, it hasn't. I mean, I was like crossing the street in Burbank, not far from here, actually, yesterday, and someone like sped by in a truck and was like, "Faggot!" Like, go home. Like, fuck you, faggot. And I was like. Wow. This still happens. Like, I'm on TV tomorrow. <laughs> I've done all this work. You're on TV beating I'm people I'm in up. California, and this still happens. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when that happens, I just want to be like, okay, but how did you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't question that because I was wearing, like, acid-washed jeans. Oh, yeah. But, like, the last time I was yelling faggot like that, I was wearing, like, shorts that were not short yeah. and, like, a sweatshirt. And yeah. I was like, like, what gave me away? I don't get it. I don't understand. So, I mean... So I like worry about homophobia in other countries, but then I'm like, you know, there's a lot of homophobia at home still. I mean, even though the public opinion has sort of turned in the last few years towards being more accepting, there's still work to be done. Yeah, I think it's enheartening seeing the protest after the Muslim ban. Yeah, I was really inspired by that. I felt really like, like, yes, like, thank you. <laughs> I was really grateful for that. Okay. Tell me about something positive, which is, not that this hasn't been, <laughs> but uh, uniquely, singularly positive, is that seeing ourselves on screen we know is important and changed lives, mm -hmm. but we're also able to connect to people who don't look like us. Yeah. I think a good example for you is like Judy Garland. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, what is it about her that attracted you? Um, well, I have to say that I was first, I think I first saw her in The Wizard of Oz, probably. Same, yeah. I think probably. And I was four? But something about watching that movie, I immediately had this like absurd connection to it. And I think it was playing on TV. And then I demanded that my mom find it. We went on this wild goose chase, I remember, very distinctly, like looking for a copy of a VHS of The Wizard of Oz. 
And, and then I wanted like the one with the special features. It had like the deleted jitterbug scene or whatever. That's um, amazing. And I just was really, I, I guess obsessed is the, is the word. I mean, it's, it sounds negative, but I read everything I could get my hands on about her. I've seen every movie she's been in. I think I own every recording. Um, and when I was little, I could sing every song and I'd blast music. My poor brother, we shared a room and I, we, he'd be trying to do his homework and I'd be like blasting like the man that got away. Um, and if I think about it now, I think it's kind of astonishing that I felt that connection because I didn't know who I was. You don't know who you are, you know, necessarily when you're that young. Um, I think it is, she brings this, she very easily brings this vulnerability which I think is like her strength to her performances and this feeling that like of of overcoming like you almost like don't know if she's going to be able to continue sometimes but then like she does and like better than anyone else you know there's like these a these aspects of her her talent and her skill that were really inspiring to me and that still motivate me today as an actor and I feel like I've learned a lot about performance from watching her um as a kid um I still don't totally understand why I feel so connected because it's not like the camp thing. I mean, she is, I guess, a bit campy, but I was never like, I didn't find it funny. I found it more, it just gave me strength and like hope and I felt like I wasn't alone, you know? Wow. F from her, her music. It's just fascinating when people find these icons like that. Yeah. Not knowing that they're actually gay icons. No, I didn't even know what gay was, I don't think, <laughs> for most of that time. Um, and learning that, I was sort of like, I remember my grandma once being like, your dad might not like it if you listen to Judy Garland because she's associated with like gay people. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, I'm like what? <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I think, I think a lot of, I, I mean, there's also the Stonewall thing. I mean, there's like a rumor because she died the day before or something. Around there, yeah. Something yeah. like that. The, the the riots were sort of like also fueled by that. I'm not really sure. I don't really know. <laughs> the, the, the stories like that kill me where your grandma said it's associated with homosexuality. Yeah. I, I was the same way. We're like, I don't know what this word means. I just yeah. know it's negative. Yeah. And I remember being called gay when I was in elementary school and being like, I don't even, I have like no idea. I like literally had no idea what that meant. Right. And yeah. And then I was called like prep and I was like, yeah. oh, it's the worst thing ever. And I was like, I guess being preppy is not that bad. I've been called worse today. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. That's like the connotations you learn before you yeah. go to meetings. Yeah. It's scary. And that didn't, I don't think, I mean, it, it was almost like affirming in a way because I was like, a lot of times I didn't feel like I belonged and I was very quiet and sort of like, I, you know, I've, I had a privileged childhood for sure, but I was sort of, I felt kind of isolated and, and I was bullied and I was sort of overweight um, and didn't have a lot of friends for a lot of it. Um, but in retrospect, being like, I felt, you know, this attachment to this, this art artistry that other people like me have, have felt like historically, I was like, whoa, you know, <laughs> that's, that's kind of amazing. And, and, and not in a way that I even can articulate, you know, it's, it's very, it's very valid. It was validating when I was, you know, figuring out who I was and not sure and kind of like hating myself. I was sort of like, wait, there's other people who are connected to this in this very like genuine and meaningful way. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel like a part of the community. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're not alone. Um, and coming at it from the dark was just like a really 
beautiful way to, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm gay now, so now I need to listen to Judy Garland. It was sort of like I was already listening to Judy Garland, and I was like, wow, this is not something that, you know, you choose or that is put on, you know, or that is, you know, it's like a magical thing, you know. I don't really know if I'm making sense. But You're making perfect sense. But it, it, it was sort of validating. Um, that and Tales of the City, the, the PBS miniseries from the 90s yeah. that I stumbled on and was like, um, it has Laura Linney and Olympia Dukakis. And it's like very basic, <laughs> kind of as a show. It takes place in San Francisco in the 70s. It's sort of like a soap opera. But it was one of the first times I saw like gay people like in a loving community and like kind of bolstering themselves up. Um, and it was very, it was, it was very validating. You didn't see that even growing up in the Bay Area? Um, no. I mean, even in Palo Alto High School, there was maybe one out gay guy. And he was in theater, and I kind of knew him. Um, I did know him. Um, but it was still pretty stigmatized. There's, I remember there was one guy in the yearbook that, in his senior photo, was like, I'm gay! And I was like, I came out like shortly after that, but I guess I just like it I, was it was there was a gay straight alliance, but it was mainly straight people. I guess I guess we like tell ourselves like the single stories, and I assumed like oh the Bay Area like you only knew gay people. No, you know? yeah, wow. I didn't grow up in San Francisco. I grew up in Palo Alto, but even so, it's one. It's I think considered one of the most educated cities in the country, and I think it likes to think of itself as not homophobic, but it was just a different time. You know, it was a bit of a different time. That's interesting. Yeah. I think things have changed. People are coming out like much younger, and and also like even like my younger brother when I when I was having the conversation with him, coming out, he was like a football player, and he was like a bully. He was like identified as like a bully in the in his graduation speech, um, <laughs> in a loving way. And when I told him, he was like, "Yeah, I don't whatever. I know. I don't care." <laughs> you know, like things are really changing. Yeah, it, it blows my mind that kids are growing up these days and they are going to be out in middle school yeah. and high school and I can't process that. It's hard to process also because a lot of our identity and a lot of our culture in certain ways um, not to be reductive but in certain ways come from feeling like oppressed or excluded or having to like be like visible as, a, as like a, a signal to our to our resistance you know and if you don't have to do that anymore it's sort of like where does that leave us yeah you know and a lot of the things about my personality that I like are yeah. things that I built up like in like uh, an effect like yeah. growing up guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like Either like coded signals. Yeah. Coping yeah. mechanisms or like coded signals to know who's like kind of on your side. Um, I don't think those are going away necessarily anytime soon, but it's, I think it's as you get, you know, there's a bit of a loss of that, you know, obviously progress and liberation is good, but there is a loss when that stuff comes too. That's that I'm interested in exploring. Yeah. Especially as someone who's on the cusp. Definitely. You know? Yeah. Um, we have to leave it there, but thank you for yeah. coming in. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What is next for you? You mentioned the cusp. Anything specifically or the general cusp? Oh, um, well, I was talking about the cusp of like life of like getting liberation, but <laughs> um, I'm going to continue being on prison break for the next like five weeks or so. Um, and I have a film on Netflix called Namur that I have a small part in. That's actually really positive portrayal of Arab Americans um, and I'm in a film called Message from the King 
um, that it hasn't been released yet. With Alfred Molina? With Alfred Molina I'm and Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, yes. that's also a, a crazy character. Yeah, if people want to find um, out more about you, should you send them to your Twitter? Sure, yeah. My Twitter is Amin El Gamal, A-M-I-N-E-L-G-A-M-A-L. <laughs> my Facebook is the same. Um, Instagram is Feisty Pharaoh. Look up how to spell it. It's notoriously hard to spell. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you. Thank and, you so much. Yeah, of course. And I'm on Twitter at Jeff Masters. You can also find all of our other interviews on iTunes and YouTube. And if you really want to help us out, tell your friends and comment and subscribe on iTunes. We will see you next week. Bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.